I'm going to read for us from Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 to 13. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may be seated. Father God, as we look at this topic of prayer that is just so important to understanding your heart and being able to go deeper into relationship with you, I pray that you would open your word to us and help us to be able to receive what you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off with the big idea around why prayer matters. And I want to share something from one of my favorite pastors. His name is Tim Keller. He's uh, been a longtime pastor in New York City. And he wrote a book that's simply entitled Prayer. It's a great book. I encourage you, if you want to read more about prayer, uh, it's definitely a, a book worth reading. And this is what he writes in his book. He says, Prayer is the only way into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. Wow. This is the power and the potential of prayer. To know ourselves, to experience deep change, to allow God to provide for us the key to everything we need to do and be in life. And this is what the disciples saw in Jesus. The disciples saw Jesus praying, and they realized that these things were happening for Jesus, and they realized that these things were not really happening at the same extent for them. And so the disciples, even as Jewish men who had grown up all their lives praying, they realized that there was a way that Jesus was praying that they desperately wanted to learn. And so they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And when Jesus is teaching from this scripture how to pray, he's basically answering the disciples' questions and he's helping them to understand what the heart of prayer is and so that they could learn and so we have an opportunity to learn as well. Now, I know that there are probably many in this room who would love to have a deeper experience of God in prayer, something that matches the description, the potential, the power that we just heard. 
And I'm sure that there are also plenty of people who are like me that would say, honestly, if you look, if I look back over, you know, the years of my walk with God, that prayer is not something that comes naturally or easily for me. It's hard. It's challenging. There have been some seasons that have been filled with deep connection and intimacy with God in prayer. And then there have been other seasons where it's felt really hard or impossible to even pray at all. And once I remember, you know, sharing with a group of people and feeling like, and I just share this, you know, sometimes I just feel like I stink at prayer. Like, I should be better at praying than I am. Has anyone else ever felt this way? And I'm not so much talking about occasional prayers, prayers at bedtime, prayers over meals. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about here, where in verse 6 he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. This is prayer that is personal, it's intentional, it's sustained, it's prayer that drives depth and intimacy in relationship with God. And for many of us, it's not easy. And I think it's not easy for for several reasons. You know, when I think about how challenging it is for myself, I think, you know, on the one hand, we live in a world that isn't conducive to this kind of prayer. For some of us, it's hard to focus on anything for more than 30 seconds or a minute before we get distracted by something else. And this is especially true in this day and age when we are bombarded by all kinds of things, by, you know, movies and videos and, and social media and the Warriors and the playoffs and all kinds of things that are so entertaining and so engaging and give instant and immediate payback and gratification. You know, you can just scroll down and get new things on your feed. You can click a buy now button and you know that something is on its way. There's an instant response. There's you know, special effects that look so real, that move your heart, that delight your senses. And then in the midst of that, to slow down and to stop and to pray can feel like none of that is happening. And I was trying to think about, you know, kind of given that challenge, what prayer sometimes feels like for me. And as someone who commutes about an hour each way during the week, I realize, you know what sometimes prayer feels like? Sometimes prayer feels like being stuck in traffic. And you're just wondering, is anything going to happen? Am I going to be able to move? Like, you know, when can I get there? When can I keep being productive? And prayer can feel like you're trapped or stuck a little bit and nothing is coming back to you. For others of us, we may bring a deep skepticism to prayer. That even when we want to pray, there are questions that are bubbling under the surface. Will God hear? Will God answer? Does he care? Is God even really there? And for some of us, underneath these questions are specific times in our lives where we prayed about something or someone that was so important to us and it felt like God didn't respond in the way that we wanted him to. And when we try to pray and we bring the skepticism, it can be hard to sustain prayer. So I want to suggest that no matter where we're at with prayer, 
Jesus gives us an invitation over these next two weeks to come to what he's teaching and to learn from him how Jesus approaches his own prayers so that we can learn a little bit more about how to pray and take a little step closer to lean in a little bit more in our relationship with God. And so as we start to look at the passage, the first thing that I think that stands out is that Jesus shows us that prayer is actually more than just talking to God. And I call this out because I think that's something that many of us have pro- has probably heard. You know, prayer is just talking to God. And in many ways, I think this encouragement is helpful, you know, for those of us that come from maybe really formal religious backgrounds or we have a certain conception of God that is totally unapproachable, that, you know, we never would dare to address God, that the idea of prayer being just talking to God can break through some of those obstacles. But if we stay there, if that's all that prayer is, prayer is just talking to God, the thing is, just talking to God has no right and wrong. If prayer is just talking to God, then all prayer is good prayer. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that that's not right. That there is actually some right ways to pray and some wrong ways to pray. Or perhaps Jesus is saying there are some right understandings or some right foundations. There are some right bases to pray and some wrong bases to pray. And so this is why Jesus says in verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the word here that is translated pagan in, uh, in scripture is actually the word that in most places is just translated Gentile. It's the word ethnikoi. It comes from the root ethnos. It means nations, people. And Jesus isn't trying to be pejorative here. He's not trying to be insulting. Uh, he's just saying that as a first century Jewish man, in Palestine, he's at a place where they're a subject province of the Roman Empire. They're in the middle of these massive trade routes in Israel. And so there are the people of the Roman Empire passing through and living in Israel all around them. They're Roman soldiers, they're artisans, they're merchants and tradespeople. And all of these people bring their own approach to pray. They bring their own understanding of what it means to pray and why to pray and how prayer works. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like them. Prayer in the Roman world was extremely common. It was a part of everyday life. But in the context of the Roman Empire, prayer was not for intimacy. It wasn't to get to know a God better. It wasn't moral, like people didn't pray in a self-reflective way to try to improve as a person. Prayer in the Roman Empire was totally functional. It had to do with how do I get my life to go better? And in the way that they understood prayer, 
there were very specific rituals, very specific sacrifices, very specific things to say in just the right way to make sure that the God that you were praying for would have favor on you, would be on your side, would help things in your life to go well. Now, the interesting thing about the way that the Romans prayed all around Jesus and his disciples, what they saw and encountered every day, is that it was so practical to everyday life. There were over 150 minor Roman gods and deities that oversaw every facet of life that you could imagine. And if you wanted that facet of life to go well, you needed to gain the favor of that particular deity. And just to show you exactly how practical this was, let me give you some examples of these gods. There was a Roman goddess of the sewers because the Romans invented the first public sewage system and they realized if you have a sewage system and you have many, many people living in a city, it really matters whether or not the sewer is working or not. And so there's a deity to make offerings, to make prayers to, to make sure that everything flows. There was a god of grain storage. So if you're in an agrarian society, you have a harvest. That harvest needs to last you, you know, through the winter, through the dry season. Otherwise, you will starve. Then you want to make sure that whatever you put into storage survives as long as you need it to survive. It doesn't get eaten by rats. It doesn't get all moldy. So there's a god that you pray to, you sacrifice to, in order to protect the grain stored well. There's even a goddess of marital strife which I suppose if you're arguing with your spouse, you're having a really rough time with the person that you're married with, you can make the right prayers and sacrifices to the goddess of marital strife and that goddess will help your marriage to go better. So things that are incredibly practical. Now, what strikes me is that even though these things are literally ancient history, it's remarkable how relevant it is to our life today. So, as someone who lives in a home where toilets occasionally clog and who had a clogged toilet this week, I know exactly what it feels like to plunge a clogged toilet, to think, I think the clog is out. Okay, I'm going to dare to flush the toilet. Oh no, the clog is not out. The water is rising. And I'm thinking, I know exactly why the Romans have a deity to pray to for sewage issues. And we may not pray to a God of grain storage, but if your hard drive crashes and you think you've lost all your data on your computer, I guarantee you're cursing or you're praying about something to get your data back because you have a storage issue. And marital strife is just timeless, right? So this is what I want us to see. The default way to pray in Jesus' day is the same default way that prayer happens most of the time in our day. It's primarily functional and transactional. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we want something to get better. We pray when we feel like something is out of our control and we need help. 
It's why virtually every person on earth has prayed about something at least at some point in their lives. It's why in every single culture, even remote tribes, any ethnic group has some form of ritual worship and prayer. We have built-in instincts to cry out to God for help when we're in trouble. It's why even among people who've made the decisions to be atheists, 30% of them say that they pray. Because you never know, right? So what Jesus is pointing to here, what Jesus shows us, is because there is a dynamic of prayer that is always communication. It's interactive. It's crying out. It's relational. There are really two different bases for prayer. And they match the two different forms of relationships that we all have. Most of the relationships in our lives, most of the interactions that we have with the people around us are functional, transactional relationships. They are some form of business relationship. When we go to work, we're engaging in a business relationship. We are committed to producing some kind of work product, and in return, we expect to get paid. That's what governs our relationship with our supervisor, with our company, even with our coworkers. Our relationship with our doctor or realtor or trainer or hairstylist. All of these are business relationships. You know, we are paying money for certain services and we expect their expertise in return. Now, it doesn't mean that these have to be bad relationships. It doesn't mean that we have to be unfriendly. It doesn't mean that we can't care. But when the when you boil down the relationship to what makes it function, it's fundamentally a functional, transactional relationship. There are certain obligations and expectations of performance that are built into these relationships. Most of our interactions are functional and transactional. But there is one set of relationships in our lives that are not business relationships. And that's family. Business relationships are about what we do. Family relationships are about who we are. Business relationships are about performance and meeting our obligations. Family relationships are about an unconditional commitment to one another and a love that leads to maturity and growth and expressions of care that are freely given. And in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, the default way that everyone prays, that all the people around us pray, even in the verse before uh, the passage that we read, even the Jewish leaders, when they're standing on the street corner so that everyone can see them, even the way that they're praying, they're praying in a way that reflects a business relationship. There's something functional and transactional that they're hoping to get from prayer. But Jesus says, I have a different way to teach you. And he says, when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words, because they're following the ritual correctly, because they're doing what God expects. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
What Jesus is showing us is that prayer is more than just talking to God. It's talking to our Father who moved heaven and earth to bring us into his family. So when the disciples saw Jesus praying, they saw something radical and extraordinary going on for Jesus. And it made sense that Jesus was able to pray in this different way because Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the one when he got baptized, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came down, a voice from heaven said, you are my Son whom I love, in you I am well pleased. So it makes total sense that when Jesus is praying, his prayers are flowing out of his knowledge of his special relationship, that Jesus is the Son and God is the Father, and there's that intimacy and power in his prayer. But here's the miracle. When the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, Jesus doesn't say, I'm sorry, this kind of prayer is only for me. Jesus says, you can do this too. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray exactly in the same way that he is praying. You got to get this. This is the key, okay? This is the heart of the gospel right here. This is why Christianity is different from every other religion. What Jesus is teaching right here about prayer. Because Jesus isn't teaching this abstract concept of God being the Father because God is the creator and everything was created through him. And so there's some abstract, generic way that all people can look to God and call him Father. What Jesus is teaching is at the heart of why he came to earth. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to earth just to pray these great prayers to give you a model. I didn't come to earth just to be an example of what, you know, a godly life is like. I came to earth that in my obedience, that in my righteousness, I would walk a line to the cross and on the cross I would die, and the blood that I shed would cover your sins. It would pay for all your mistakes. I would take away everything that separates you from God so that God can adopt you and bring you into his family and that you would be sons and daughters of God just like I am. And so when Jesus prays and he's able to say, our Father, my Father, my Heavenly Father, he says, you and I have that same right too. This is what scripture is saying in John chapter 1 verse 12, where it says, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name. God gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So when Jesus teaches us, when you pray, begin your prayer, our Father in heaven, he's saying, this is the basis for why you can pray and know that God will always hear you that God is always for you, 
that God is never judging you or evaluating you, that God isn't saying, well, what about how you were living this week? I'm not sure I care about what you're praying about. God is saying, I am your father. You are my son. You are my daughter. That relationship is unconditional, will never be changed. I will always hear your voice. We're covered by the righteousness of Jesus when we come before God. And our job when we pray is to begin with our Father and to stay there, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to think about it and feel it until it gets into our heart and our soul and our bones and our spirit until we realize that it is true. And then anything else that we pray for, the requests that we make, they flow out of the reality that God is our Father in heaven, that we are children of God. And that's why Jesus doesn't teach us to start praying with calling God our King, even though he is. He doesn't teach us to start praying by calling God our Creator, even though he is. He doesn't even teach us to start praying by calling God our friend, even though he is. Because all of those relationships have some level of conditionality to them. You know, if we are approaching God as a king, then we have to figure out, have we been faithful subjects? Have we done things that would cause our king to be displeased with us that would make us hesitate from even coming before our king and saying anything? If we're coming before our creator, then we have to think about, have we been aligned with how we've been created, with what we're supposed to be doing? Even when we think about God as a friend, you know, we've all had good friends and bad friends. We've all been good friends and bad friends. We know that there are times that our friends, because we've let them down or they've let us down, that that relationship gets broken. But when we come to God as a father and we know that we've been adopted into that family only because of what Jesus has done, because of God's grace, he has brought us in, we know that we will always be welcomed and heard. This is how it's different from a business relationship. When we approach God in any other way, we're either going to be anxious, what if we haven't been good enough to be heard, or we're going to be demanding. Look at how often I've gone to church. Look at how generous I've been. Look at how faithful I've been with my choices. God, you have to answer my prayers because I've earned it. And when we approach God in that way, it's like we're an employee, not a child. Our boss doesn't have the right to withhold a paycheck when we put in the time. But that's not the way that we're called to relate to God. Now, I want to acknowledge that this idea of approaching God as a father because we are a part of his family has some complexity of its own because for some of us, we've been in families where we've experienced pain and trauma from our families. And so the idea of approaching God as a father is not an easy one for us. There are others of us who are here that in the families that we've had, there's been a high level of conditionality in how our family relationships worked. So even inside of our family, we felt like we've had to earn love in our families. 
But I just want to say this. The reason why families have the ability to inflict such deep pain and trauma in our lives is because there is a way that we're made. There's something innate to us that knows that family is designed to be different. That family is not designed to be like a business relationship. And if we are willing to hear Jesus' words and be able to come to God in prayer as our Father, God is saying, I want to show you what a good father is like. I want to show you what family is supposed to be. I want you to hear this prayer that Jesus prayed for us. It comes from John 17. And Jesus was praying for his disciples, and then he prayed for all the people who would believe through the disciples' message all down through history. And this is what Jesus said in verses 20 to 23. He said, My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved I want us to hold on to those words, even as. Jesus is saying, God loves you and God loves me, even as he loved Jesus. In the same way that God loved Jesus and delighted in Jesus, God loves and delights in you and me. Think about how much God loved Jesus. From eternity past to eternity future, the intimacy and joy that they had together. That God walked with Jesus, provided for him in his time on earth. That Jesus in his joy fulfilled the calling of God to bring us into God's family. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in fullness of joy, in perfect relationship, and Jesus is, is, is praying that we would know that God loves us even as, in the same way that God loves Jesus. And the amazing thing about this verse that I love is that this is being lived out in our community here at New Beginnings. God is basically saying, when the people of God are able to be together in community, in unity, and they're able to demonstrate that everyone, no matter what your background is, no matter what your life experiences are, no matter you know, what school you went to or your socioeconomic status or the color of your skin or the language that you speak, if 
everyone is able to know that they have an invitation to enter into God's family through Jesus and that there are actually communities where people from all these different backgrounds and traits and attributes are able to come together and to be able to be a family, to know that they are brothers and sisters together worshiping God as the Father. That is how the world will know that God is a Father that loves each one of us even as he loved Jesus. And that's what we're trying to ask God to do here at New Beginnings. So, as I was thinking about how to close this, I really wanted to offer an illustration that reflects what kind of special access we have as the children of God. And, of course, the first thing that I thought of was my daughter's, And I thought of the times when, you know, it's three in the morning and they've just vomited in their beds and they come into, you know, they knock on the door and come into our room and they're saying, you know, I'm sick, daddy, help me. And I thought, yeah, that's one kind of access, but our access to God is not only in times that we've made a mess and we need help or we're desperate and we need something from God. That there is a way that just because we're children of God, there's a way that we can live life with joy and intimacy that is different because he is our father. And it made me think about this picture that I had seen before that I want to share with you today. So we're a politically diverse community. It's part of our diversity. So no matter you know, whether you like the Obama presidency or not, hopefully we can all agree that this is just an awesome picture of a dad and a daughter. And the thing that stands out to me about this photo is if his daughter is anyone else in the world, there's no way that she's in the Oval Office like this, right? <laughs> You can't get into the Oval Office without an invitation, without being scheduled, without being searched by the Secret Service. And if you presume to come in and hide behind the sofa to surprise the President of the United States, you're probably going to get shot before you're able to do the surprise, right? But not if you're his daughter. If you're his daughter, you have special access. You have access to play. You have access to laugh. You have access to share life together. You have access to share how your day went, to share how school went, right? No one else is coming into the Oval Office sharing like, oh yeah, I actually had a pretty tough day. But his daughter's have that ability. It doesn't matter what other titles and roles and responsibilities he has as the president because of the relationship that they have with him as their father. They know that they always have access. There's a way that his ear is going to be turned towards them because they're family. And that's the way it is for you and me. God will always turn his ear towards us because we are his sons and daughters. We've been brought into the family because of what Jesus has done. And no matter what we're bringing in, no matter what mess we're bringing in, it doesn't mean that God always answers our prayer 
It doesn't mean that God always bails us out, but it means that God is never against us. He never has it in for us. He always wants what's best for us. He's never shutting us out. And that's the privilege that we have when we come to him in prayer. So that's what we have looked at today. And next week, we're going to look at some of the practical challenges. Why doesn't How come God answers prayers sometimes and not others? But what I want to challenge all of us to do as we head into this week is just to take a little step that is stretched in the direction of our prayer life. And whether you pray regularly or whether you pray hardly at all, this week I want to encourage you to take a step in the direction that Jesus is saying. Find a time to be alone. Find a time to be before God and start your prayer, our Father, and stay there. Reflect on it. Meditate on it. Think about what it means that God is our Father. And don't leave that thought until it starts to soften your heart and to sink in. And if you have a chance to keep praying, let the other prayers on your heart flow from that reality that God is our Father. And if you don't have more time to pray, live in such a way that reflects that reality that God is your Father and has your back and you're able to live with that kind of confidence in his love. Amen.